Hello. This is Alan Pike on the scene where we're witnessing multiple facts. <laughs> Eyewitnesses are reporting physical phenomena, etymological events, historical happenings. Mm-hmm. Got to provide up to the minute coverage as this scene develops. <laughs> Fun fact, this year, Canada gained a land border with the EU. What? I know. Is this some colonialism shit? Well, I mean, it's all built on, it's all colonialism up here. <laughs> yeah, um, it's true. It's so, yes, um, but only like, you know, we didn't, it was no, it wasn't creation of a new colony. Um, yeah, so I, this was not expected or on my radar at all, um, but just a couple of months ago in June 2022, uh, Canada gained a land border with Denmark. Uh, is there now a land bridge between Greenland and Canada? Not quite, but that's a really good uh, close guess. There is an island named Hans Island that is right smack dab halfway in between uh, Greenland and the nearest, like, actually legit-sized uh, Canadian uh, island. And so there's this sort of uh, territorial... Uh, treaty that says, okay, well, how do you decide which islands are on the Canadian side and which islands are on the Greenland side? And that sort of, you know, determined which island uh, belonged to who, except for Hans Island, which was kind of like split in half and there was no... uh, This is a real Cyprus situation. Yeah, yeah. It was lower stakes because no one lives on the island and there's nothing of economic value. Not yet. I'm moving there. Not yet. Um, But over the years... Um, Canada and Denmark would take turns planting a flag, like the, so the Canadians would go and they plant okay. the Canadian flag. Yeah. And it became a tradition, apparently, that the Canadians would leave a bottle of whiskey with the Canadian flag. And then when <laughs> uh, Danish, uh, you know, explorers or um, architect, uh, you know, whatever, troops or whatever it was, would uh, visit the island next, they would take away the Canadian flag, they would put down a Danish flag, and then leave a bottle of schnapps. <laughs> And so it was jokingly referred to as the Whiskey War. Wow, that's hilarious. Yeah. I would rather have the Canadian whiskey than the schnapps, probably. By far. I mean, I feel like we won the war on those grounds. <laughs> and f- and from that perspective, it's maybe regrettable that the, the decision was to kind of to split it down the middle, which is something you can't do with all disputes, but with an island is totally possible especially when there's no economic value to it, really. <laughs> and so uh, in June, you know, amidst some, you know, other uh, examples of countries maybe not behaving uh, it, as good international citizens, Canada and Denmark agreed to share the island, split it down uh, the middle, and uh, and now uh, we have a border with Greenland on Hans Island. Wow. So random fact about this that I just learned, because I was looking up, a picture of Hans Island. Mm-hmm. It's it's like, a large and expansive island with many features. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just like, where is this? By, oh, yeah. By the way, y'all should look at the... We should put the link in there because it, it looks like it's entirely rock. It's just it a like rock. It's just a It's a, a one rock, kilometer square a rock. rock. But what I find fascinating about this is that um, when this uh, gets ratified, it will be the both Canada and Denmark will suddenly have a second land neighbor. Previously, both countries only had one land neighbor. Yeah, we each had a large land neighbor to the south. Yeah. We mostly yeah. get along with but occasionally roll our eyes at. And then we're like, you know what? Let's have a land neighbor. Let's be land neighbors with each other. Yeah. Denmark for those of you. Canada. 
for those of you, by the way, who don't know who Canada's southern neighbor is, that's, <laughs> for those of you who don't know who Denmark's southern neighbor is, it's Germany. Hmm. And if you're surprised that that's the only border, it's because there's like a bunch of islands and then you get to Sweden. So uh, fun fact about that, about me and that, is that I once took a train from Germany to Denmark, to Copenhagen. Hmm. And as part of that, the train at some point gets to the end of the land. And then there is a boat that comes, and then the train drives onto tracks on the boat. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And then the boat goes to the other side, and then the train keeps going. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. But yeah, you know, Denmark is is just above Germany, and then there, and then is some islands, and then you eventually get to Sweden. But there's no land border, so now now there's a, a land border between Denmark and Canada for no good reason in the middle of nowhere. It's a it's a tribute to peace and is there anything peaceful. i mean is there like do they think there's some resources on there's nothing no it doesn't seem like it i feel like if there was resources that then it would probably would not have been settled so easily that's a really good point yeah we just Honestly, had to um, trade whiskey for 49 years and then give up bothering <laughs> yeah the uh the in the inuktuit the inuktitut and greenlandic name of this hans island which I'm not going to butcher the pronunciation of, but it means kidney shaped, which feels pretty accurate. About the shape of the island. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and of course, like, you know, colonialism is like in some ways laid even sillier when it's like, obviously this is maybe not obviously, but this was a Inuit, uh, like territory for many generations before any, uh, Canadian or Canada or Denmark existed as things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but then there's like, you know, bureaucrats arguing about, which part of this rock belongs to them when in practice, like why, why, why? I, I don't know. Momentum of colonialism, but. Oh, apparently the whiskey is Canadian club. Now I don't know. Oh, oh, okay. I back off my endorsements. Later. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. You know, I feel like we could have represented ourselves a little better, but. There was a Google fight over Hans Island as oh, well. Le- as in like, if you Googled like what country does it belong to, then the little box that it would fill in, you mean? Like, there were advertisements oh. which promoted either Danish or Canadian sovereignty. Oh, kind of an odd thing for us to be spending money as a country. I feel like I like this outcome better. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good use of. I was curious though, like we have a money. so we have a border now with an EU country. Yeah, but uh, so I was like, well, is that maybe useful <laughs> in some way? Oh, right, no. Uh, but it turns out, like, I mean. Even if it really was an actual like full EU land border, then uh, the economic costs of bringing something to that border in order to cross it, I think you'd have to have something astronomically like maybe if you could like save import duties or have some sort of transaction costs differently on like the, the world's largest diamond or something like it, maybe it could be worth bringing it all the way out that remotely. But even then, uh, apparently, uh, Greenland is part of the kingdom of denmark but in terms of eu it's part of the overseas countries and territories yeah, yeah mm-hmm. sort of part of the eu stuff so yeah. it those areas and there's a whole bunch of like aruba is part of uh i think the netherlands technically yep. but then it gets to be oh no the netherlands thing is fascinating there's an old cgp gray video about the netherlands that is and the borders that is pretty amazing about how messed up that is because part like i think it's true for france too but but like for sure like some of the overseas territories of the Netherlands, you're actually in the Netherlands. Yes. And some of the overseas territories of the Netherlands, you are not in the Netherlands. Yeah. And that's the case, I think, for some of the, like you say, France and stuff like that. 
uh, in the UK, I believe, also as well. Um, and so in the case of the, the EU overseas countries and territories, there's a table which we can link where like each one will have opt-in or out on various EU things. Like maybe they use the euro, maybe they use uh, the EU law, maybe they have the import uh, duties, maybe they have uh, citizenship. So like in Greenland, they have uh, citizenship. So if you're born in Greenland, you get EU citizenship. But uh, most EU laws don't apply to Greenland, for example. So it's like kind of an, it's not quite like 100% of EU land border. So we're going to have to work on getting like a full EU. We're going to have to get some and territory. What, but you're not an import exporter. So how would that help you anyway? Like I am not personally, but I feel like the as a country that gets like 90 something percent of our stuff gets imported from either the United States or China. I feel like if we had more import export happening with the EU, I feel like that would, mm, you know what it is. Better no, you ways. know what it is. Yeah. If you could get on that sweet, sweet EV station wagon. Yes. That's how we get the EV station wagon. That's how you get the EV station wagon. We just yeah. got to get it to Hans Island. That's right. Get the Greenland to be fully accepted as an EU member state. This is so easy. And I have some other stuff. I feel like actually yeah, some other it being stuff. a land border probably doesn't fix the problem in any way. But I, let's say it did. <laughs> I feel like I don't, I don't want to find out. I'm not going to research. I'm not going to follow up. Let's no, say that's no, no, how no, no, no. Let's just live. Right. Let's live in that world. It's just waiting for me there. All right. So from one long border dispute. Mm. We're actually to... incredibly short border dispute. Hey, the third shortest border, the third shortest land border in the world, apparently. Okay, well, from something incredibly short that's sometimes long to something that's incredibly long. Mm, okay. All right, fun fact. There is a species of fish that was thought to have been extinct for 66 million years until they found them living in the ocean. Wow, that's, uh, that's quite a long time. Yeah, so the fish in question is the coelacanth species, and in particular, mm. Latimeria, which have existed for at least... 420 million years. So it's like before the dinosaurs? Well, yeah, during dinosaur times, maybe before, and were believed, the the belief was that they had gone extinct with the dinosaurs at the end of the Cretaceous period. Hmm. And they believed that until 1938, when some fishermen near Madagascar just found one in their net. And they're (laughs) like, like, what the F is this? What is this? And and they thought that it was like a living fossil. I mean, it kind of is. Right, but they thought it had like not evolved since the dinosaurs. They're like, this is incredible. Uh, it turns out that it, of course, hasn't has evolved over the last like sixty million years. Hmm. You know, but they're incredibly rare, and they're actually endangered, unfortunately. But it's still, although I don't even know how they know that because they they're so hard to find, and they only exist in like two places on the Earth. I think it's like the Indian Ocean, and you know. But I just think it, it it's an incredibly powerful reminder. Of how little of the ocean we've looked in, right? There's still stuff there that we have no idea. That there's still so much stuff there that we have no idea. I think it's like, you know, single digit percentages or something of the ocean that we've actually looked at. Maybe but the rest is all coleocanth. <laughs> we just haven't looked at. Pronounced coelacanth. It's, but it's, maybe the rest is all coelacanth. <laughs> I know it. It's spelled like it should be pronounced. Not. Have you ever noticed that dinosaur names are never pronounced the way you would think they were pronounced? If you look yeah, at like them? kids' books have the pronunciation guides, and you're like, "What? Why is this Ladimeria? There's a T there. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Why is this Coelacanth? If you look at Coelacanth, at least you can kind of get it. Mm-hmm. But it's like 
Mm. But yeah, so they they found one in 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 1938, and and then it was referred to a living species, a living fossil, because it looks like identical to the way that the fossils look, even though they've evolved a little bit since then. But it's it's very it's very similar. It sounds like right, dozens of new genes in the past 23 million years, which is like pretty low, like genes per year rate. That's that is that is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they only live so like I said, Indian Ocean and the waters off of Southeast Africa near Madagascar. But they're just there's just not that many of them. And they did they, I'll link an article that goes into like really a ludicrous level of detail on how they looked at the you know, genetic evolution of of this uh fish. You know, like that it uses words like transposon, which I do not know what it's that is. Not a word I have any context for even guessing what it means. That's right. Apparently it's a jumping gene that jumps around the genome. Parasitic gene. So I feel like sixty two of them. We could have some follow ups on what those are, but I have no idea. Yeah, totally. So the, but I take a look at the the I mean the coelacanth looks like a fish that was around for that hasn't been around for, you know, millions and millions of years. Yeah, like it, this photo, at least, it, it doesn't look like a species that used to exist millions of years ago. It looks like this one fish has been alive for millions <laughs> of years, and it's just like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> 420 million years ago. Like, so, for context, human history is what, like 5,000 years? Well, dinosaurs, it looks like, came around 250 million years. So these fish are way older than the dinosaurs. Yeah, so these these guys are like... Who who are these newbies? It's interesting right. how, especially in the second one, where it doesn't look like the fish itself is millions of years old, how yeah. fishy it is. Like, it's a fish that has, like, you look at it, and it's like, yeah, it has, like, a little bit unusual placement of fins. Yeah. But just for a reference, there's only been, so, so from 1938 to 2020, they've only found, like, 330-something of them. Mm. I mean, they're really rare. But they are, but actually, that that seems like a high number to the people who track this but there is a lot of shark hunting going on around mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and that is and the nets they use are the biggest threat to the survival of the coelacanth so i'm pulling for latimeria which i learned about by the way from a a book that my son is currently really into called i'm not a dinosaur okay which is an awesome book about i think there's like a some paleontologist or maybe some like ancient animal scientists whatever they're called who are like annoyed that the only people who you know only dinosaurs get any any pub right, but there's so many other interesting there's so many di- old animals. old animals that are not dinosaurs and in fact some of the things we think of as dinosaurs are not dinosaurs like uh pteranodons are not dinosaurs mm-hmm. they're they're pterosaurs yeah and mm-hmm. uh you know lasmosaurus is not a dinosaur it's a plesiosaur and like you know that kind of sure. thing but even like you know there was this one like sloth thing that was like 10 feet tall. <laughs> That's awesome. Or this like cool armadillo that weighs like a thousand pounds. And yeah, there's some like pretty good super huge. megafauna back in the day. There's some like real, real cool, not dinosaur things. It's a good book. I recommend it. All right. I'm checking that one out. Speaking of millions of years, I don't know. Okay. Long, okay. long times and distances. Okay. Is this the long times and distances episode? This is the long times and distances episode. Okay. Uh, have you ever wondered how astronomers... Nope. Why do you say that? <laughs> You're supposed to be curious. <laughs> this show is about having a curious open mind, all right? That is true. I'm going to give you an opportunity to reevaluate your response. Have you ever wondered... Okay, yes, yes, I'm very curious. <laughs> how astronomers... You can wait till I ask the thing and then pretend to have wondered it. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever wondered... How astronomers 
can tell how far away certain stars are? Uh... No, I guess I like you read into, to, like the star the star series is eight point six light years away. Well, yeah, like, I guess I thought that they. I guess I naively imagined, and perhaps I'm wrong, probably that they detected that based on something like how bright the light was. Ah, yeah, that interesting that you mentioned that. So that can uh, be helpful. I'll talk a little bit. I'll I'll get to that. But okay, that's not the default way. Uh, fun okay. fact. Um, you can estimate how far a star is from you with trigonometric parallax. That is observing it from two different positions and seeing how much it shifts compared to other stars. Oh, so, you, so if you so if you have two, you know, at least minimally equally capable uh, observatories mm. at different far enough points, how far away apart do they have to be? Well, it depends on how far the star is. Um, okay. But typically, ideally, you want to be a few million kilometers away. So not on the planet. Well, I mean, it's fairly inconvenient to not be on the planet, especially if you're an ancient astronomer. Um, and so what they would do... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Is this going to be some, like, ancient alien? No, ancient astronomer, not ancient aliens. Okay. No, I mean, maybe aliens were involved, but we weren't able to detect them yet. But uh, Okay. So, so what they would do is they would make an observation of a star, and then mm. they would wait six months uh, while they moved 300 million kilometers away. Because of the movement of the Earth. Because the movement because of it was the Earth. Six months was exactly... Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> they waited until they get as far away from the other side of the, the rotation around the sun as they can. And then make another observation. And then that's, you have a parallax effect. That's... That is cool. Yeah. It's one of those, like, oh, it's such a mention, like, ah. Oh. That's so the first person smart. To think of that must have been like, man, I'm smart. Yeah, that's so smart. <laughs> that's like, oh, man, that's so smart. You know, I love stuff like that. Like, I, I've gotten, this is not comparable, what I'm about mm-hmm. to say. <laughs> but I've gotten <laughs> a slightly less smart observation. No, it's not even an observation that I had. I just want to say, I got back into woodworking mm-hmm. recently. And one of the things I really like about woodworking which in a broad way is sort of similar to programming uh, is that there's a lot of problem solving involved and it's often like, okay, with the tools that are here and the math that I know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how am I going to get this measurement to be right? Or how am I going to get these things to line up or like in the physical world? It's very different problem than in the computer world, which a similar type of thing, like, okay, well I have these, skills or these available constructs or these this knowledge how do i do a thing in the physical world it's like okay well i have this straight edge and this pencil and the level of math that i have how do i make these two shelves line up correctly yeah and i really enjoy that and when you like sometimes i'll watch you know youtube videos that are just of people showing like cool hacks they've come up with for like woodworking where it's like, oh, don't have this tool, just do this. Mm. Or want to get this angle, just do this instead. Seems counterintuitive, works perfectly. And thing. this is kind of like that. It's like they're like, okay, well, we don't have telescopes hundreds of kilometers or even millions of kilometers or hundreds of millions of kilometers apart. But we do have a planet that moves in a circle. Yes. What's the farthest point away? But that is like, by the way, that is also some serious dedication. Like, I want to know... <laughs> For some reason, so delayed I gratification. Just, 
Well, but it's also just like the pursuit of sort of esoteric knowledge because it doesn't really well, impact much in the ancient times. Yeah, in the ancient times, it still doesn't totally like impact that much of our day-to-day lives. But it's not just like a random fact to put in a book because when you can understand the distances of things, you can then start to understand things like, okay, what is the effect of gravity and what is the effect, like how are the galaxies held together and like a lot of the other things. Yeah, but all of that is sort of esoteric. All of knowledge. it is all esoteric in a way, but it's more than just like a factoid that they just stick in a book and then it's like, oh, hey. Yeah, I mean, know? someone in the in the ancient version of Fun Fact, mm-hmm. someone was like, listen, I, this Fun Fact, I just spent six months. <laughs> I mean, I know that there was a like a lot of, you know, different attempts to calculate the, you know, the circumference of the earth and, you know, all this kind of stuff back in the day with, with limited tools or like, how did they ever draw a map of a coastline, you know, yeah, when this now is, or in the past? And this, this is one of those, and it was kind of interesting, like even in the 1600s, they were estimating, I used Sirius as just like a random example of a famous star because it's the bright one that people have heard of. The dog star. Um, and even in the 1600s, they were, uh, astronomers were estimating its distance using this method. Uh, someone had estimated that it was uh, 27,000 times the distance uh, of in between earth and the sun which because they so that's 92 million miles times 27 27,000 uh it's that would make it 0. 0.47 0. 0.437 light year which actually it is more than that like the astronomer made an error <laughs> it's mm. relatively difficult with the tools at the time to like precisely measure it yeah um, but like they were getting within like the, the order of well about one order of magnitude off right but they were getting way closer <laughs> than if they were just big, randomly yeah, guess right but, like i don't know because yeah. like it, when you are just an ancient astronomer like how far is this there's a star away from us this don't thing, don't diminish a, them by saying just just what yeah, you said when you're just an ancient astronomer. When well, when you're a, when you only have the tools that ancient astronomers have. All right, that's better. Put some respect on their name, is all. I'm uh, I mean, they were certainly much more in, uh, ingenious than I am in my astronomy abilities <laughs> of looking things up and reading about them. Yeah, that technique was really great for measuring uh, stars. You could measure stars up to thousands of light years away. Although there's actually one wrinkle in it, which is that if the star is moving relative to us mm. because then you go and you get the, the parallax but then it's like well wait a minute it gets moving so the yeah. solution for that is like kind of dumbly obviously clever you just wait six more months and then take another observation and then you can then cancel out the, the distance in between the two that you can calculate how far <laughs> it's moving relative to earth if you've got six months to spare you, months. you can do and you have to, then you could do anything yeah, basically exactly what i'm learning uh, but th- so that works for stars thousands of light years away but beyond that it starts to like even with that amount of distance of going around the sun they don't look like they're they've moved at all like it's everything beyond a certain distance all looks kind of stationary right um so, yeah. so that gets to your sort of idea at the beginning of the of the fact which is that you can you know based on the way that light works that uh light uh, objects get dimmer as a square of their distance from us and so mm-hmm. if things are further and further away then they should be dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and so we can tell something is further away based on how dim it is if we know how bright it is okay because some stars are brighter than other stars and so if we just see oh, a star just by its nature yeah like some stars are really bright some stars are medium. Like, so we need to know what kind of star we it is. We need to know what kind of star it is. And even within two different like class G stars or whatever, there's some variance. And so you can look at it and you're like, okay, well, it's this color. 
So like we're going to maybe categorize it this, we think is maybe this temperature or whatever, you know, certain things you can, but it doesn't really tell you how bright that thing is uh, at, at the source, like how light is the lamp. And so yeah. but what they, what they have figured out is a couple things that astronomers are pretty sure they know how bright they are. And so they can find those things out in space and then try to make sense of how far things are relative to those. So uh, the Gaian default one is the these, uh, they call them Cepheid variables, so like pulsing okay. stars, and they pulse okay. at a certain frequency and brightness, uh-huh. presumably calibrated using this uh, trigono- trigonometry, the parallax thing. So mm-hmm. the ones that are close to us, then we can observe, okay, well, we know this brightness effect, and we know how it's, it's relative to distance, and we know how bright it is. And so they can basically use that as a calibration when they can find those pulsing Cepheid stars that are further away, then they can use their brightness to calculate how far they are away. And then you can use the brightness of, uh, or you can use that to kind of like start mapping out the stuff around it, if that makes sense. Wow. No, but that's so cool. So you can use that for stars up to 40 million light years away. Wow. I mean, you know, the you know one of the things I find fascinating about this stuff is that everything that we're looking at is both extremely far away. And also we're seeing. Mm, Yeah. The light from a long time ago, a version of it from the past. Yeah. So there are things we're looking at that literally don't even exist anymore. And then we get to the edge of what's called the observable universe where past a certain point of distance to us, we can't see anything because no matter how good our telescopes are, because it has not the universe has not existed long enough for light from there to have reached us. Yeah, and then there's also the problem of like things that are moving away from us faster than the speed of light, not because anything right. can move faster than the speed of light, but because no, because they started out so they started far out away. so far away, and the universe is expanding that the sort of net distance in between us and it is growing more. Yeah, the the there is a whole bunch of stuff that's passing the threshold of the observable universe, yeah. and it's it's I mean. There are some out there things that sort of try to get around the general relativity, you know, speed of light being the fastest thing. But at the moment, that still main is maintained as the fastest thing. And yeah, there's not much you can do about that. So I guess except go really quickly towards that point. <laughs> but like even then, if something's moving faster than the speed of light away from us, there's not much you can do about it. So it, yeah, it's all very interesting. Do you own a telescope? No, but it's the kind of thing like maybe when the kids get older, I would... That's what I was thinking, too. I really want to get one when my kids are old enough for us to, like, enjoy looking at it. Especially now these days with these ones where you just punch it in and it finds the things for you. Like, you just say, I want to see Saturn. And you see Saturn. I would love to do that. Nice. Yeah. Um, The the whole thing of, like, predicting how far stars away are away away, apparently is particularly important because of my least favorite thing in the universe, which is dark matter. I'm sure if you're Mm. familiar with it. Um, yeah. but, uh, in order to figure out like how much dark matter there is, they need to figure out how much effect gravity is having on various, very far away things like galaxies. And so then they need to know how far away they are so they can kind of figure out, okay, well, how should it move? But it's not actually moving that way. It's moving in this different way that can only be explained by us saying, okay, well, there's this dark matter that you can't observe and doesn't interact with anything, but it has gravity for reasons, question mark, question mark. Why is that your least favorite thing? Uh, it's just inelegant. 
it takes up like 85% of everything, everything in the universe. Yeah. And it's, you, you don't like it. And you it. can't observe it or interact with it. <laughs> I dislike 85% of the universe. It's a weird, it's a weird uh, corner to stand on. The I don't like dark matter. It's my <laughs> I've, least I've got favorite a beef thing. I think you live a pretty good life if that's your <laughs> least favorite thing. I, have to say. I should say there is well, a delicious beer called Dark Matter here in Vancouver. Well, there you go. So it's clearly not your least favorite thing. Yeah. So, when, you know, when it comes to aging, mm. you know, we're talking about things very far away the, and the age of the universe and how fast life yes, travels. Yes, passage of time and all that. Yeah. Aging. Mm, okay. Is our theme. Fun fact. At least one recent study suggests that not everyone ages at the same rate. Hmm. So I found this really interesting. So there was a a study done in New Zealand. And what they did was they followed like a thousand plus people from their birth in the 1970s until now. Mm -hmm. And it recently concluded that people vary wildly and widely in the pace of their biological aging. Okay. Now, so for, for the purpose of the study, what they defined biological age as was sort of included a lot of factors, but some of them were like, Body fat, heart fitness, lung capacity, inflammation, how many cavities you have, you know, all Mm. kinds of things like that. And what they found was that some people aged significantly slower than their chronological years would suggest up to the the most slowest, the slowest aging ones gained only 0.4 biological years per chronological years. 0.4. Yeah, pretty good. That seems unsustainable. Well, the fastest ones, though gained two and a half so that ratio means like some people should be living to 300 well uh, sure i i think that when you look at what the differences are in these people you know maybe it makes a little more sense but yes i agree that 0.4 does seem uh, both of those seem like big numbers so by age 45 so they they said they said that the differences show up starting in the 20s but by age 40 i think 26 but by age 45 there were already huge differences including Weaker grip strength, problems with balance, vision, hearing, lower mental sharpness, worse memory, and MRI scans that showed more brain tissue thinning. But like, wouldn't you, if if all those things were random, wouldn't you still just have variances in the population between different people who had them, the different amounts? Yeah, I'm sure you would, but they, uh, yeah, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> uh, I don't know why they think that they can normalize that in some way, right? That's what you're basically asking. Like, is it not just completely random? But no, no, but it, they're saying it is random. They're not saying it's... Right, but like, they're not there's saying a difference in between age, effects of aging are random and effects of aging are correlated in certain people magically, or not magically, but like specially age more or less. Well, what do you mean? Like it's sort of implying an underlying biological thing that's causing aging as opposed to just the thing, the... The things that we associate with aging occur at different uh, rates in different people due to the random normal distribution of biological variability, which is like common sense. Well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but I found I guess what I found interesting was like just the quantification of it, like, you know, because you you, always say like, oh, that person looks young for their age. That person looks old Mm -hmm. for their age. Right. And some people feel like they're they don't have they're not going to live to be that old. Right. Which yeah, like somebody was saw saying people in that study. What was it like? Um, Coolio said he was like twenty four. Not sure if he was going to be twenty five, but now he's, he's like twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. So he made it. Yeah, 
He he did. Yeah. But like, you know, I think that first of all, they were what they were saying is that there are some genes that we know play a role in sort of your biological aging rate. Mm hmm sort of longevity genes, quote unquote, that like help you shield you from various environmental stressors. Yeah. But their point was that aging is not set in stone that like, uh, and maybe it is sort of, uh, what did, how did you put it? Maybe just sort of obvious that like not every 50 year old or not every 25 year old or not every 40 year old is identical. But it's just also like lifestyle choices, right? Like, did you smoke? Are were you a heavy drinker? Did you eat well? Do you exercise? You know, yeah. various things. But I think the idea that there is sort of like a, uh, even if it's movable and even if it's random, that there that 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 a year of time does not represent a year of aging at the same rate biologically. That it's a more of a continuum, right? Yeah, I've read some things that like I'm not, I don't have a great sense of how much it like holds up to like modern uh, ways of like looking at and critiquing studies because like a lot of studies about like how um <clears throat> about um sociological factors that were published in like the 90s and and even 2000s and before were pretty like um finding facts out of randomness a little bit mm. or finding a mm. an, an compelling story out of out of sort of error bars and things like that but um right. i've seen a few like uh studies and things that would have made arguments that uh, stress and stress hormones in the body uh, are like a big predictor of that pace of aging. Like the things that we associate with aging and onset of various diseases and things like that are ha happening at a higher pace when you're under, uh, you know, cortisol and adrenaline and these things are in your system. Well, it's good that we've had rate. a worldwide pandemic for the last few years that I'm sure that's going <laughs> to keeping us all super chill. <laughs> I will say I don't like that the headline for this article, the the headlines are really always the problem, right? Yeah, because it's like scientists do a study and then somebody's like, "All right, how do I get clicks?" Right. So the headline is "Study confirms that some people age more slowly," and it's like that's you should don't say confirms. yeah confirms. And uh, it's not good. Yeah, but I just I don't know. I just found it really interesting. It sort of explains to me, it's like puts a, like, I thought the quantification, I'm not, I didn't read the study, so I don't know why they think it's 0.4 versus two and a half. I'm, I feel bad for the two and a half people, but like, I just find it fascinating that they could, that they feel like they could put a number on that. And yeah, I don't know. I thought it was cool. Yeah. And there's, there's also like all the different fa factors, like you, you'd mentioned a few, but one of the things that ends up being like really impactful of people later in their life, which I've been like sort of exposed to just due to certain sense of life is that like cognitive sharpness can vary so much like mm. speak to two 85 year olds and that's like, right that's right one of yeah. them you're sort of uh, you know accommodating the pace at which they're able to kind of hold the conversation and remember who's what or even who you are but you're like well you know they're 85 but then you have a conversation with another 85 year old and they're like whip sharp they know exactly what's going on they know everything they all know up on current events and you know they have like well-reasoned detailed thoughts about things that you're like oh wow yes absolutely okay actually <laughs> it's not just inherent about your age it's yeah so many i factors. mean my grandmother in her 90s and my grandfather until he was in his late 90s i mean he lived to 102 he was they were both completely you know fully like present alert knew everything participated in everything did everything yeah you know and then you see people yeah who are in there 
seventies or eighties and are, I mean, even if they don't have like Alzheimer's or something like that, but are just like, you know, um, just kind of a little bit missing. Yeah. A little fuzzy around the edges. Yeah. Well, we also this week have a very special follow-up fact. We have a follow-up fact. Yeah. From my son. Ooh, the plot thickens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my son, who is two. Mm-hmm. He has a critique of, of our factual accuracy. No, he, my son listened to our fact from last month about frogs and their leaping ability. Mm-hmm. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. And shared a fact that he learned about frogs that he wanted all of our listeners to know as okay. well. Okay. All right. And I'm going to send you the file. Those of you out there are going to hear him recite his fact now. My fact, fact says that frogs drink through their skin. That's great. Yeah, right? Yeah. That compares really well with our previous one about them breathing. I know. The turtles breathing. Yeah. Turtles through their butts. Turtles breathe through frogs, their butts. Frogs through their bre- skin. Drink through their skin. Yeah. That seems really convenient. <laughs> yes, it does. Although I guess it's inconvenient when you leave the water and you like anti drink through your skin and you're trying <laughs> you just out. can't stop. You're trying yeah. out. I, I just I think it's great that the next generation is prepared to take over, you know, fact nation will not be without, you know, the facts. Yeah. Because... If either one of us needs to to take a break. Yeah, Akiva can totally jump in and then, you know, maybe maybe Elio Thomas wanna get into fact into yeah. the fact zone. And they're even like on top, like it's in our, our wheelhouse, which is, you know, animals, you know, <laughs> totally. breathing and drinking <laughs> from totally. body parts, right? Yeah. So I just want to say thank you to Akiva for providing that fact. Thanks, Akiva. We're all smarter for it. Do, does he, does he listen to the show? Is our show kid appropriate? I haven't, I haven't really thought too much about that. Like, uh, yes, I think our show is kid appropriate. If someone out there disagrees, please let me know. But no, he does not listen. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we get a little, I guess we don't get that inappropriate. No, he doesn't listen, though. I told him the fact. I don't design my facts to be, maybe I should think about that a little bit more. Maybe yeah. there's parents out there that like start listening to it, and then they got like 20 episodes in, and then we said something totally inappropriate. And then Yeah, well, let us know if you're still listening, but now you don't play it in front of your kids. Please let but us know. But you wish know. you could. Yeah, if you wish you could play it in front of our kids, but there's certain things we do or talk about that. You know, yeah, let, like let us can. know, please. But I, he didn't listen to it. I don't know if he has the the interest or patience, and he hears Attention my voice enough for an hour. Well, he, he also hears my voice enough as it is. But he, he, I told him the fact, and then he told me his fact. That's great. I love it. The next generation facts. <laughs> <laughs> 